21, sorry. John 21, starting in verse 17. No. Dang it. Let, you know what? I'll, you, ta- I'll take it. Is there a 17 in there somewhere? <laughs> I'll take it from here. Okay. I'll take it from sure. here. Sure. Okay. I can stand here next to you if you want. Yeah, John 21, we're going to read at uh, some point, verses 1 through 12. Uh, well, there's a seven in there, but one to 12, there's a seven in there, yeah. Uh, and and uh, Matt, thanks for that kind introduction. Uh, Charlotte and I, we, Charlotte and I have been members of Covenant Life for a real long time, longer than some of you at least have been alive. And uh, though we have said more than once that um, if we were going to be members uh, in faith of another congregation, this would probably be, I'm sure it would be, the, the church that we would want to be members of. So it's a privilege to be here and, and bring God's word to you this morning. Thanks, thanks again for the opportunity, Matt, and, and to all of you. And yes, uh, please turn in your Bibles to John 21. And while you're dur- doing that, while you're turning, uh, just an introduction to today's, in, in introducing today's message I'll share a brief testimony, personal testimony, of God's grace. I used to have panic attack level fear of public speaking. Uh, It was paralyzing, and I avoided any and all situations where there was any chance of me having to speak in front of a group of people. Group being two or more people. Uh, (laughs) And, uh, and then, 37 years ago, at age 27, God saved me. And uh, at that point, everything started to change. He went to work right away on that controlling sin and fear. Uh, not long after the conversion, my conversion, the man who shared the gospel with me asked me to be the master of ceremonies of his wedding. And this was not going to be a small wedding. It was going to be a couple of hundred people. He was aware of this paralyzing fear in my life, and he started saying things to me like, I believe God wants you to MC at my wedding reception, and God takes you places where you don't want to go. And, I'm, and I, my responses were probably like, well, I don't want to go, and I don't, I thought you said God was good. And uh, So, you know, even though well, my heart started beating almost through my chest when he, when he said these things to me, when he asked me that question. But at the same time, I knew he was right. I just knew in my soul, in my heart, my mind, that this was an opportunity to trust God in an area of life that I had been controlled. Sin and Satan had been controlling me. But you know what? I was still afraid. I was still afraid. And if this was going to happen, if I was going to speak, if I was going to be an MC. I needed some assurances. And, uh, and now, as a new disciple of Jesus, I had assurances. I had the blessed assurances that Christ is alive. He was going to be present with me, in me and with me. And he's infinitely powerful to help me do whatever he calls me to do. I just needed to trust and obey. Well, so while intent on trusting God in this situation... At this point in the story, it just got scarier as the day got closer. And uh, I was shaking like a leaf that day and uh, barely able to stand and hold the microphone. Uh, But I'm sure you can guess what happened next. 
and where the story goes from there. God, of course, was faithful to me, wasn't he? He, he met me that day, and um, as a matter of fact, I think by the end of that day, they had to pry the microphone away from me. Um, he was faithful that day, and he has been faithful every day since. So if you're, and you've already heard similar things to this already this morning from Matt and Corby, Uh, If you're here this morning and life's difficult and scary, maybe you're in the midst of a trial or period of suffering, or God's taking you someplace you don't want to go, like being an MC at a a big wedding reception, and you need to be reminded of God's promises and assurances, I think we will, I don't think, I know, we'll see this morning in John 21 just that. So the title, if you want a title, for today's message. It's follow Jesus with blessed assurance. And a scripture passage, uh, well, I mentioned it. It's uh, John 21, 1 through 18, really. But we're going to read. We're going to read uh, 1 through 12. So read with me, if you would. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to, said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in a boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. So let's pray. Father, thank you that this morning we here know the good shepherd that we sang about. Lord, thank you that you chose us to know the good shepherds this morning. Thank you that we are here and want to hear from you. We want to hear your word. Thank you that we have any interest in you this morning. It's all by your grace. And so, Lord, we pray that indeed, as we hear your word, you would, Holy Spirit, you would lead us into all truth. And, and please encourage um, the faint-hearted, admonish any idol, and help the weak. Help us all, Lord, please, this morning. If we need encouragement, if we need assurances this morning for whatever we're going through, please, God, please, in very specific ways, provide all of that. We pray in the name of Jesus. So, okay, three years or so prior to John 21, 
Jesus first called his disciples in Matthew 4 saying, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets. This is amazing. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. But now here in John 21, Jesus is not around. And he's going back to his father in heaven. And yet Jesus had said they were going to be fishers of men. Okay, but let's remember that within the last couple of weeks, just within the last couple of weeks of John 21, these guys scattered, leaving Jesus to suffer and die on the cross alone for their sins and and ours. So these guys are now in a place where they need assurances from Jesus that in their scattering and leaving, they haven't been disqualified from this mission, this calling, that he's still calling them to this great mission, and he's still going to be available and willing to help them. They need assurances. In the first two verses, Jesus has revealed himself by the Sea of Tiberias, which is also known as the Sea of Galilee, to Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James, and John, and and two unnamed disciples. In verse 3, Peter announces he's going fishing, and the other said they're going to go too. We don't know why Peter decided to go fishing. John doesn't give us that information. But but what what we do know is this. We know this. Uh, And please, keep this in mind. In the sovereignty of God, they caught no fish that night. These guys are pros. They're professional fishermen. And this is the second time in Scripture they haven't caught any fish. Luke 5, when Jesus first called them to follow him. And now in John 21. So now these guys, they've spent the last three years walking with Jesus. They've seen water turn to wine, the sick healed, thousands of people fed with a few fish and a couple of loaves of bread. The dead risen and Jesus, death and resurrection. They've witnessed all that. But now Jesus was leaving them and going back to the Father. And this night out on the water, they're freshly aware of their own weaknesses. Uh, Even when it comes to what they're they're good at and they're strong in. They're professional fishermen. So, you know, it's not hard to imagine these guys at some some time during the night out on the water all night, having a real-life, real-time conversation, maybe something like this. Guys, how in the world are we going to make it without Jesus? Let's be honest. We can't even do what we're good at with success. And then the 4,000? And we're supposed to be fishers of men? Really? Yeah, you're not lying. Not catching any fish tonight makes me think of the good old days when Jesus fed the 5,000 with just a few fish, and, and then the 4,000, he created fish right there on the spot. That's right. We wanted to send the 5,000 into town to the store, and he said, you feed them. Peter, you were laughing. I was crying. And what about three years ago when we first met him? He filled our nets after we'd been fishing all night. He filled our nets so full they were breaking. The nets were breaking. Yeah, the good old days with the king. Wish he was here filling our nets tonight. Or maybe the conversation went more like this. Okay, yeah, you're right. It hurts. 
Once again, we haven't caught any fish, and yeah, that's what we're good at. But ultimately, we're dependent on Jesus for everything. And if he called us to be fishers of men, we'll be fishers of men. He will fill the nets with saved souls just like he did with the fish back at the lake. Look back and remember all he did for us. And look up now and know he's still there, sovereign and ready to help. Well, you know, they hadn't reached Acts 2 yet and been fully filled with the Holy Spirit. So if they had a conversation, it was probably, good chance it was more like the first one. But, you know, we really don't know, do we? we they may not have talked at all. My friend Rod Smart and I can play 18 holes of golf and not say one word to each other. So it may have been, it may have been something like that. But what we do know is this that Jesus was showing them that any success realized in their call as fishers of men in the Great Commission, any success, would be entirely due to the sovereignty and power of Jesus and not their own strength, gifts, or talents. Jesus was again showing them that they need him even for the things they're good at, like fishing, let alone the Great Commission. He was assuring them that they could depend on his presence, power, and sovereign grace to catch the men just like he did with the fish. He would provide all that was needed. So as day was breaking, then Jesus was standing there on the shore. They didn't know it was Jesus. When he said, children, do you have any fish? And their response was no. He said, Jesus said, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity. Then the beloved disciple John says to Peter, it's the Lord. Peter quickly, per usual, uh, jumps out into the water to get Jesus, to get to Jesus as soon as he can. And there's two very interesting things to notice about Peter's response here. First, most of us, if not all of us, would take more clothes off rather than putting more on to take a hundred yard swim to shore in what was probably choppy water. It was a sea. <clears throat> and yet the characteristically impulsive Peter in this situation first puts clothes on, more clothes on before jumping into the sea. It seems he must have been conscious enough of approaching Jesus stripped down uh, that he first stopped and put on his outer garment, not wanting to approach Jesus undressed and in a disrespectful way. But then to notice this, his, that his response here is in sharp contrast to his reaction the first time Jesus filled their nets in Luke chapter 5. In Luke 5, what did he do? Peter fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. But now, as one chosen by Jesus and forgiven of his sins, a true follower of Jesus, he was going to make every effort to get to Jesus as soon as he could. That's a sharp contrast from the first time. He's still a sinful man but now, who recently denied Jesus three times, but a forgiven man who in Luke 5 pleaded for Jesus to leave him alone 
and now is doing everything he can to get to Jesus quickly. Okay, so then eventually they all get to shore. And verse 9 says this, When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you've just caught. Peter is again, of course, the first to respond, going and hauling the net ashore. Then Jesus says, Come and have breakfast. And this breakfast is one of the reasons I love this chapter in the Bible. Think about it. These men greatly, greatly sinned against Jesus with their betrayals not long before this, this, is, this breakfast. A few days, a week maybe. Uh, and what is Jesus' response? He first seeks them out. Then he fills their nets with so many large fish, not small or medium fish, but large fish, uh, that they weren't able to haul it in. And then he takes grace and mercy to another level in preparing them breakfast on, on the beach. And who doesn't love breakfast on the beach? When my sons uh, Joe and Will were little guys. They always wanted something. Parents, you know what I mean. It was constant. Uh, Slurpee run, chocolate chip, pancakes, IHOP, newest Star Wars Legos, whatever. It was in this list of wants and desires. And they knew God, Dad was the guy who could make it all happen. He had this card. We go, we stick it in the uh, wall of the bank. Money comes out, and then things start to happen. So it was not unusual for the younger son, Will, prompted by his older brother and pal, Brian Lehman, uh, Will would show up next to me, looking, looking up, saying something like, Dad, I beg you, we got to go get the new PlayStation. And on the way, let's get some chocolate chip pancakes at IHOP. And, and then if I didn't say, okay, let's go right away, which I didn't because I thoroughly enjoyed Will's begging skill set, <laughs> he, he, with much trauma then, would grab a hold of my legs and look up with his big round face. And, and he hits me with these lines from the movie, What About Bob? <laughs> a classic movie, one of the best movies ever. Gimme, gimme, gimme. <laughs> I need, I need, I need. I'm all locked up inside. (laughs) And then at some point, uh, he took it to another level and started to throw this in. And I'll do your taxes. (laughs) Oh, I love love to think about it. Well, you know, I tell you this story because Clearly, I love those gimme, gimme, gimme begging events. And you parents know what I mean. We want to be generous toward our kids. We love blessing our kids. It's a pure joy to do it. Because we, but because we still have sin in, us, sin in us, we don't always do it perfectly. Sometimes we might be reluctant or even stingy and less cheerful about it. But you know what? Jesus is never a reluctant, stingy giver. And we see that here. Once again, as Jesus extravagantly blesses his disciples with a bunch of large fish and breakfast, and most significantly, his presence. 
And this takes place just a few days after the greatest gift of all, his life for their sin and salvation. So, so here at the breakfast, we've, we have a very clear illustration of another wonderful assurance that we see in Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will, not, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We can also see something else here at this breakfast on the beach that's very important to remember. It's easy to forget, but it's important to remember. Jesus remaining faithful and preserving or keeping his disciples after they did not, after they weren't faithful to him. Uh, Jesus will never forsake or leave his chosen ones, but will preserve them forever, as we're told in Psalm 37 28. He will not forsake his saints, they are preserved forever. So if you're in Jesus and he's in you, you can be assured of this this morning. He will not forsake you and he will preserve you forever. He didn't forsake these disciples and he won't forsake you. Okay, so now what's next? Well, the loving kindness of Jesus doesn't end with breakfast. As now he turns his attention more specifically and directly to his good friend Peter. But before we go into that, before we move forward with this story, we need to take a look back, a brief look back to understand the full effect of what's about to happen. Matthew 26, starting in verse 31, says this, Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. And to that, Peter responded with, and this is key, this is key, with the other disciples present, that even if all the others would fall away, that he would never fall away. And even if he must die with Jesus, he would not deny Jesus. Well, it's important to see here is that Peter said these things with the other disciples present. We all know what happened. Peter denied Jesus three times. So so the call Jesus had on Peter to be leader of his church was then compromised. It was compromised with Peter's denials of Jesus. So now Peter is going to need to be restored by Jesus to lead, which is about to happen. But first, remember the charcoal fire that the fish and the bread are laid on for breakfast? Well, that charcoal fire plays a, a key role here in Jesus' detailed care for Peter. As the only other mention of a charcoal fire in the entire Bible is the one that Peter was standing next to when he denied Jesus three times. Keep this in mind, that Jesus cares for you with the same exquisite detail we see with Peter in that charcoal fire on the beach. If you ever have doubts as to whether Jesus is aware of the details of your life, come back here to the charcoal fire and remember both charcoal fires. Okay, so now as breakfast seems to be wrapping up, Jesus now begins to reverse what happened at the first charcoal fire. 
Starting in verse 15. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Meaning, do you love me more than these other disciples do? We should notice here that Jesus addresses Peter as Simon, son of John, which was Peter's name prior to being chosen by Jesus. Jesus asked Peter three times if he loved him, which was an opportunity for Peter to match each denial with a proclamation of love for Jesus. First two times asked, Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. The third time, he's getting, he's grieved at this point, was slight, the, the answer was slightly different with, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And indeed, Jesus, of course, did know, did know that Peter loved him because Jesus knows everything. So these questions from Jesus to Peter were to benefit Peter and the other disciples who are present and listening. With each response given by Peter, Jesus charges Peter again with the pastoral call and the mission for his life. Just like he did when he chose him, uh, chose Peter in Luke 5 when he told him he'd be fisher of men, Jesus exhorts Peter to fish, uh, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, which all represent that mission, represent shepherding and pastoring God's people. So for others to follow Peter and his leadership going forward, they would need to be assured of Peter's restoration. And now they had that assurance. So we see here with the charcoal fire, they're referring to Peter as Simon, son of John, and the three questions. Jesus leading Peter to full repentance and restoring him in the call on his life. Peter's failure did not permanently disqualify him as he humbly repented and Jesus restored him. And if you're here this morning and need to be restored, guess who's ready to help you with that? Jesus is ready and willing to do the work with you as he did with Peter. Okay, so now we get to verses 18 through 19 where Jesus shares with Peter his future destiny. Peter, like Jesus, will eventually be crucified. Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young and you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was was to glorify God. After this, he said, follow me. Jesus made it clear in these verses that life was going to be different for Peter going forward. That he was no longer going to impulsively do what he wanted to do. But he would instead do what Jesus wanted him to do. And ultimately, it was going to lead to Peter's death. The call of follow me... For Peter, like it is for us, was a call to sacrificial obedience. It was in Luke 5, it was in Luke 5, and here it is again in John 21. So Jesus is still saying to Peter, who again, Peter has walked with Jesus for three years. 
Three years ago, Jesus said, follow me. And here we are, fast forward three years, and Jesus is saying it again. Follow me. He's still saying it after three years. And he continues to say, follow me to each of us here this morning. If Jesus were to ask you this morning, do you love me more than these? Whatever these might be, how could you answer? Is there anything that's coming to mind that you, you might love more than Jesus right now? In John 14, Jesus says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And that obedience requires sacrifice. For Peter, it was ultimately his life. What sacrificial obedience might Christ be calling you to? Jesus requires repentance. And as the great physician, he's ready and willing to lead us down a road of repentance when we need it. Is there a pattern of sin in your life, either known or not known, that you need to turn away from and turn back to him? He's ready. He wants you to turn back. Turn back today. He's ready to help. Or perhaps you're here, and this is really the first time you've heard Jesus say, follow me. Uh, maybe you've never heard that Jesus lived and died for your sins and has been risen and, and, and has ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father and is say, for you and, and is saying, follow me. If that's true, please, please be like Peter. Be like Peter. Jump out of the boat and swim as hard and fast as you can towards Jesus this morning. And if you need to talk to someone about it, I'm sure there are folks here that would, would love to talk to you about it before you leave this morning. And so now in closing, let's, let's leave this morning encouraged with these assurances. Jesus is alive. And he's seated on a throne at the right hand of the Father. We can be assured of that because both his resurrection and ascension were witnessed by these disciples and many others. He's alive and seated on his throne this morning. We can be assured of that. We can be assured that he knows where you are, where we are this morning, both physically and spiritually. He knows all the details. We know, we can be assured, Jesus is powerful to provide for our needs, whatever they are. Whatever trial or suffering we might be experiencing, we can be assured he is powerful to provide. And Jesus will preserve his saints forever. He's the God who saves and he's the God who preserves. He keeps saving and he doesn't stop saving. And he preserves to the very end, and, and you will be pres preserved. And then, just like Jesus controlled Peter's destiny, you can be assured he controls yours. You can know that this morning, that he has your destiny in control. And so, now, having given, given you these assurances, again, Christ again this morning would say, follow me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you 
that we were chosen to know the Good Shepherd, as I prayed earlier. And Lord, if there's anyone here who you've yet to choose, we pray you choose them today and, and save them today, Lord. But Lord, for the rest of us, help us, please. We believe. Help us in our unbelief. We're weak and fra- We're like these disciples. We're no different. Uh, we need your help for whatever, we're, whatever you've given us gifts and strengths and talents in. We still need you, Jesus, to, to bring the fruit. We need you for everything. We're dependent for, on everything, uh, for, for everything, and our next breath. And so, Lord, I just pray that if any of us here this morning need to be specifically encouraged and assured of these truths about you, about you, Jesus, that you would make that happen. And we pray these things, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.